0: you're listening to the redemption city church podcast to learn more about redemption city church visit us online at rccbaltimore.org today's message comes from pastor adam mutasib thanks be to god amen well good to be with you all excited to open up god's word with you Again, uh, and before we jump into 1 Samuel 14, I have s- some good news for you all. There is light at the end of the COVID tunnel. Do you see it? It's, so, it's there. We're headed there. And even within church, we're beginning to start the process of being able to see each other in the flesh. Hopefully no more Zoom calls for a while. Uh, I'm not staying on Zoom ever again. Uh, but our hope is... start something we're calling watch parties July 5th you can see the graphic here Uh, so what we're gonna start doing as we start to ramp up church life again as we meet in person is allow you to go to somebody's home and watch the service uh, in small groups in homes maybe have some food discuss the sermon together hang out Uh, rather than getting us all together at once right away we want to keep it slow and allow each other to gather in homes Uh, so that's gonna begin in two weeks July 5th Uh, if you're interested in hosting you're like hey i want some people in my house Uh, you guys bring food I'll take care of the house Uh, you can sign up to do that the information is gonna be on social media this week we're gonna send an email on how you can sign up to host and uh, there'll be stuff on our website as well Uh, if you just want to show up uh, and maybe bring a snack and uh, and grace people with your presence uh, you can also sign up just to join a watch party so that's gonna be the first step in our ramp up of meeting together Uh, looking forward to that and if you look on the next slide here This is our uh, summary of our plan to begin to slowly meet together. Right now, we're in step one. As you can tell, we're doing an online service. uh, And we're we're allowing stoop groups, these many groups within our gospel communities, to begin to meet soon, uh, this week even. Uh, And step two will begin July 5th when we're still gonna do online services and in-person stoop groups, but you can go to a watch party on Sundays. And then hopefully soon, by God's grace, hopefully the, uh, the cases will continue to go down, we can move into step three where we're uh, gonna do indoor services up to uh, 50 people. My, man, my dream, my vision is that we would be able to do an outdoor service, you know, like chill in Patterson Park, get all these people together. We're having trouble getting a permit though. Uh, Parks and Rec is not issuing any permits right now, at least through August. So um, we can't at least legally gather. Um, and I'm not trying to do an illegal gathering as a church. Uh, so as of right now, the plan is to move towards uh, like 50 people in our space and then slowly, God, bring us here, bring us here, I'm so ready. Step four, where we can be together, all of us in person, with a lot of hand sanitizer. (laughs) So, uh, that's our plan, looking forward to it. Um, Make sure you sign up for a watch party or sign up to be host. Now, let's jump in to 1 Samuel chapter 14. I hope you have a Bible. Uh, If you don't, uh, there's a Bible app on your phone. Turn to 1 Samuel 14. And uh, man, this is a perfect text for Father's Day. A perfect text Um, like if if 1st Samuel 14 were a movie it would be Rambo or Saving Private Ryan or Braveheart or gladiator like this is a man's text man so you fathers out there listening man this is great for us to hear this morning I promise ladies you'll get something good too I promise Um, but 1st Samuel 14 is full of courage, it's got some war, it's got death, it's got deep friendship, it's got faith, and we'll even see Jesus. So, first Samuel 14, I hope you're there. Okay, so just to give you a little context as we jump in, if you remember from last week, 1 Samuel 14 picks up uh, after chapter 13, and the Philistines this enemy of Israel is attacking the Israelites. And uh, if you remember the description of this army, this Philistine army attacking the Israelites, it says that there were 30,000 chariots, which are modern day tanks or fighter jets. Can you imagine like 30,000 fighter jets like hovering towards you, uh, 6,000 horsemen, and troops like the sand on the seashore. So we're talking like probably at least 50,000 Philistine enemy soldiers hovering over Israel. Can you imagine like Camden Yards? You ever been to Camden Yards uh, when the Orioles were good and the stadium was packed? That's a lot of people. That's how many people are hovering over Israel ready to demolish them. Okay, we got 50,000 Philistines. How many Israelites are we working with? How many brothers we got to take on this Philistine army? Well, you look, Chapter 14, verse two. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave in Migron. I would love to go to a pomegranate cave. I have no idea what that is, but it sounds cool. <laughs> the people who were with him were about 600 men. I'm sorry, what, six, 600? you missed missing a couple zeros there, bro. Like 600 men, verse like 50,000. Not a great scenario. So what are the men of Israel doing in this situation? Well, if you look at chapter 13, it says that they hid. They were hiding anywhere they could go. Caves, holes, rocks, even tombs. Could you imagine being so desperately scared, you open up a grave and hide in it? They're hiding in wells. Anywhere they can go. They're shook, and they're forgetting that their God is the God who opened up the Red Sea and destroyed the Egyptian army. They're forgetting their God is the God who, who his glory passed, His glory cloud passed over Mount Sinai and gave them the Ten Commandments. They're forgetting he's the God who gave them the Promised Land. They're forgetting who God is and they're looking at the numbers and saying 600 versus 50,000, and not good for us. An impossible situation. But there is one guy who has faith. There's one guy. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. We see this boss named Jonathan. Jonathan is Saul's son. You know, Saul's the the king over Israel. He's the guy in charge, hiding in the caves. Well, his son is a little bit braver than Saul is. And it says in verse 1, Jonathan says, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison, like the, the stronghold, the camp. Let's go over there on the other side. But he did not tell his father. So Jonathan's like, in secret, don't tell my dad because he won't let me go. I'm gonna go take on the Philistines myself. And to get there, it says in verse four, if you look, to get to the Philistine garrison, Jonathan has to go over the, this rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes and the name of the other was Senna. Uh, the Hebrew word Bozes means slippery, and the, the word Senna means thorny. So let's just recap just for a moment. Jonathan, in secret, the king's son, wants to defy his father, the king's orders, which is punishable by death. While everyone else is hiding in caves and in tombs and in wells, he's going to cross over some cliffs that are named Slippery and Thorny to go over without any backup to attack an army that's bigger than the sand on the seashore. That's pretty stupid. But verse six tells us a little bit of his motivation and a little bit of the why he's doing this. Verse six is the key here. Verse six is a tattoo verse. You know, like you have those verses, you're like, I need to get this tattooed on my body. (laughs) Verse six is a tattoo one. Look, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Don't get that part tattooed. It's the next part. (laughs) It may be that the Lord will work for us for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Don't get this twisted. This is not optimism. Like Jonathan's not a glass half full kind of guy. Like, oh, 250,000, we got this. No, that's not optimism. This is faith in a sovereign, all-powerful God where numbers don't matter. Whether God has an army of many, or an army of none, he can win. Remember earlier in 1 Samuel, the ark got captured, God brought it back himself. Jonathan believes in that God. You know, the God that we believe in, the one who walked on water, the one who died, resurrected, and is gonna come back, the God who healed the blind, who let the lame walk, the God we believe in, the God who can still do those things today, Jonathan believed in that God. So he goes with his armor bearer to take on 50,000 men by himself. And you know what I love about this? This is such a display of faith. But do you notice what he says here? It may be that the Lord will work for us. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say like, we're going to win definitely. He says, it may be that the Lord will work for us. It reminds me a lot of um, that story in Daniel. You, you guys remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? If you're new to the Christianity, or if you're new to the Bible, welcome. We're so glad you're here. There's this awesome story in Daniel chapter three. And uh, what, what's happening is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, tough names, uh, but they're, they're captured by Babylon, and this king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, is demanding all the people, all the Jews, worship an, image in his, uh, worship an idol in his image. And when the music plays, they gotta bow down and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's idol, right? And um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are, you know, godly dudes, they're like, no, we're not gonna bow down to your idol. We believe in the one true God. And Nebuchadnezzar tells them, unless you bow down to this idol when the music plays, I will burn you to a crisp. I will throw you in a fiery furnace, your bones will become dust, and your flesh will peel off slowly. And this is what they say to him. Imagine the, the position of vulnerability that they're in. They're likely going to die, and this is what they say. Daniel 3.16, if the God we serve exists, then He can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and He can rescue us from the power of you, the King. But even if He doesn't rescue us, we want you as King to know we will not serve your gods or worship the gold you set up. Do you catch that? It reminds me a lot of Jonathan. We're not going to worship this idol, and you can throw us in the furnace, and even if we burn alive, it's not gonna stop anything for us. Faith, especially faith in impossible situations, is not a certainty that things are gonna turn out the way you want. Faith is saying, like Jonathan, and like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God, I believe you can do the impossible here. I believe you will even do the impossible here. But I yield to the results because whatever you do is for your glory. See, Jonathan might have known he was going to die, but he believed in a God who was sovereign over it all. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I believe they thought they were going to die. But they trusted in the God of all things. See, we can't believe, faith can't be in what we think God should do. Our faith should be in who God is and what He decides, right? When you're in an impossible situation, what you should be praying and saying is, God, I believe you can get me out of this. I believe you can do the impossible here. I believe you can do a miracle. I believe you will, and I'm praying you will, but even if you don't, I know it's for my good. I know it's, it's, you're using it to detach me from the things of the world and get me to cling to Christ. I know you're doing this to glorify your name. So whether you win and you, you give me victory over this enemy, we can say only he could do that. He's incredible. But if I don't, and if I die or get injured or something bad happens, I can say, God, this hurts, this is hard, but I know you did this for a reason. You're making me cling to you more. And you're, you're using this for your glory. Matt Chandler uh, He's a pastor in uh, Dallas, Texas, uh, Village Church. He's in the same network as us, Acts 29. And uh, he was, at 35 years old, diagnosed with um, terminal brain cancer. He thought for sure he was going to die. He had three kids, wife, successful church. And he said that when he was diagnosed and thought everyone thought he was going to die, people didn't know how to pray for him. It was like awkward. Like, you ever been in a situation like that where it's like a seemingly impossible situation and somebody asks for prayer, you're like, okay, what do I pray for here? Do I pray that God does something that He might not do? Or do I pray for the peace in the midst of this bad situation? I don't really know what to do and it's really awkward. And Well, Matt Chandler, I recently heard him say that um, the prayers that meant the most to him and the prayers that clung, he clung to were the prayers like Jonathan and the prayers like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God, I know you can heal me of this terminal illness and I'm praying and I'm believing that you will, but even if I die from this slowly, you're making me more like Christ and you're glorifying yourself through this. So in your impossible situations, friends, in the marriage that doesn't seem to get healed, in the evangelistic conversation with that friend who just seems to not ever want to consider the things of Jesus, in your planting of your church in a really hard area, in these impossible situations, what we say is, God, like Jonathan, God, I believe you can do this. You can do the impossible. I believe you're going to, and I'm going to act as if you are. And you know what? If you don't, I trust you. That's faith. Brothers and sisters, let's act like Jonathan. Let's go out in confidence. Well, Jonathan's boy... His armor bearer, verse seven, has an interesting response to Jonathan's idea. You know, we always like want friends who have our backs. Man, this armor bearer has Jonathan's back. He says, after Jonathan's like, let's take on this army to 150,000. he says, verse seven, do all that is in your heart, do as you wish, behold, I am with you, heart and soul. That is an incredible verse. Mm-hmm. I am with you, heart and soul. Can you turn to the person next to you if you're with somebody? Look them in the eye and tell them, I'm with you, heart and soul. Go ahead right now. I'm with you, heart and soul. If you're by yourself, you can tell your dog or cat that. I'm with you, heart and soul. Go ahead. Man, that feels so good to say. I'm with you, heart and soul. We were meant to have relationships like that where you can look somebody and tell them like, we have one organ, one heart, one soul. Like this deep oneness. It reminds me of, this this verse reminds me a lot of the early church. You know, when the church was just born, just started, Jesus just arose to heaven. Do you know how the early church is described in Acts 4? Acts 4.32, now the full number of those who believe the church we're of one heart and soul. Man. Church is meant to be a place where the people next to me aren't just the people sitting next to me. A lot of people treat church like it's a movie theater. We all go to the same show, watch, and then leave. See you next week, probably. The people next to me are supposed to be the people we have one heart and soul. Man, it, I want somebody I can say that to. I want a few people I can say that to. And the sad thing is that in 21st century America, a lot of people, especially Christians, and especially men, have no one to say that to. There are a lot of fathers out there who don't have friends. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm one heart and soul with you, baby, me and you. Uh, me and the mailman, I guess, are one heart and soul, too. Like, he's always bringing my stuff on time. You know, I say hi. No, no, I'm talking about a friend. John Mulaney, uh, a comedian, talks about this. He, he was doing his monologue on SNL a couple months back, and he said, man, it's so hard for men to have friends. He said, I think Jesus' greatest miracle was that he was a man in his 30s who had 12 best friends. <laughs> and none of them were his wife's best friend's husbands. <laughs> Men especially, and I think a lot of us just don't have good friends, that we could say, I'm one heart and soul with you. And I think, I I was talking about this with my stoop group last week, like, could we say this to one another, guys? Could we look each other in the eye and say, I'm with you, heart and soul? And it was kind of awkward, like, um, yeah, yeah, we want to, but like, that's kind of, that's a deep thing to say to one another. And I said, I was like, casting vision, let's be a group of men where we can say that to each other. Like, we know everything about each other and we're journeying together, one heart and soul. And I think there are a lot of barriers between us and that vision for any of us. Here are a couple I thought of. Number one reason I think you possibly can't say, I'm one heart and soul with a friend. If you don't have anybody that you can say that to right now, here's some possible reasons. Number one, no common vision. There's no common vision in the friendship. What I mean by that is, is what brought Jonathan and his armor bearer together? a common vision to defeat the Philistines. They had a mission, they had a journey, they were headed somewhere. The, the war brought them together. We need something that brings us together as friends. It's what C.S. Lewis calls a common vision, or what I would call a common horizon. C.S. Lewis, he, he writes the best stuff there is on friendship that i found. He says that a friendship can't merely be about the friendship itself. Any friendship built on friendship will collapse. It has to be on, centered on some central vision, some central journey. Uh, it can be about dominoes or birds. <laughs> it can be on, centered on anything, but it's got to be centered on something. He says that those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. If you're not going anywhere, you can't have a fellow traveler. And friends, for the Christian and for the church, our common vision, our common horizon is so far and so high and so spectacular yet so sure. It's to become like Jesus. So we can say to each Christian next to us, each person in our church, will you journey with me? Will you be one heart and soul with me as we head towards becoming like Christ? That's our common journey. It's not Fortnite. It's not getting a promotion. It's not any hobby. It's becoming like Jesus. We need a common vision. If you, were, you can't say to anybody, I'm one heart and soul with you, it's probably because you don't have a common vision with somebody. Center around your common vision. Second reason why we don't have a lot of these one heart and soul friendships is we're too busy, just to be honest. I just got too much stuff on my calendar. I don't get room for friendship. I, I'm focused on work. I'm focused on my family, my nuclear family. But friends, we, we got to make time in our calendars for the stuff that makes life actually good, like relationships like friendships, like you need to schedule some time in your life to hang on the deck with somebody that's not in your family. You need to, like it's productive to have time in your schedule open for friends. Because friends, relationships are what make life rich. I mean, think about the best moments in your life. They probably had something to do with a friendship or a relationship. We need to schedule it, open our calendars for it. Yet so many of us would say, man, I'm too busy. Um, I was on vacation last year and my wife and I were, you know, had a, a lull moment in our vacation chilling. We were watching a documentary called The Dawn Wall. It's a documentary about this guy named Tommy Caldwell who climbed El Capitan in California. It's the, like the hardest cliff to climb in the world. You can see a picture of it right here. Imagine climbing this puppy. <laughs> like just hands and feet. And uh, it's a 3,000 foot cliff said to be unclimbable, and this guy Tommy spent seven years attempting and training to climb this mountain. Couldn't do it. Then he decided to do it with a friend. And they spent weeks climbing this mountain together, living on the side of the mountain. It's kind of crazy, they pitch a tent on the side of the mountain here, and they're just spent every day climbing until they reach the hardest point in the cliff. It's called the Dawn Wall, it's pitch 15. Um, they, they say like this part of the, the climb, which you can see here in, in the next slide. Look, uh, go one more back. That's what they have to climb on. If you can see that, like on your bare fingers, impossible to climb. But Tommy, who's the best climber in the world, is able to finish pitch 15. After days and days of trying, he finally gets it. And they're on like, I think day 16 of nonstop climbing. And his friend who's with him, I think his name is Kevin, cannot get pitch 15, cannot get the dawn wall. He can't get this part. And so Tommy waits, no joke, he waits six days for Kevin to be able to finish pitch 15. And uh, the people who were watching, there were hundreds of people watching, the news was covering it, this was a national story. You can Google it, you'll see it online. They were like, Tommy, you just keep finish the, the climb. Because no one's ever done this before, you gotta just finish the climb. Forget Kevin, he's had his chance, he's not gonna do it, just go to the top. Because from after pitch 15, it was a cakewalk. And you know what Tommy said? He said, it wouldn't be worth finishing without Kevin. I'm not going to the top of that mountain without him. I'm staying and waiting for him and cheering him on until we can go together. And I think it was on day seven, he finally got it. Kevin got it. And they climbed the mountain together, and this is them on the top of the mountain. Because friends, we're all climbing a mountain here in this journey to become like Christ and to follow him. But it's not worth going alone. I'd rather go with somebody else slower. Do you have anyone else you're climbing with? And to be honest, I think a lot of us are too busy. Let's free time. Third reason, uh, briefly, we're too easily satisfied. Friendships take work. And Netflix is just so much easier. There's no awkward conversations, you know, there's no lulls in the friendship. You know, if I wanted a quick meal, something to easily satisfy my cravings, I'd go to McDonald's. But you know what's so much better? Like actually getting the ingredients and cooking my own meal. One takes a lot more work, but one's so much better for me. And I think we're just too easily satisfied. We're numbing ourselves with entertainment. With the free time we have, we satisfy ourselves with the little small cravings instead of going for the rich stuff, friendship. So put in the hard work to really get to know somebody. You know, the Greeks said the the unexamined life is not worth living. I would say the friendless life is not worth living too. Mm -hmm. So put in the time, don't be so easily satisfied. Ecclesiastes 4 says two are better than one, and three is even better. (laughs) Who are the two and three in your life? Last reason that I think we can't have these one heart and soul friendships, we often don't see them in church and in life, is we're too picky. We want our friends to be LeBron James. (laughs) We want our friends to be Scarlett Johansson. Well, let's just be honest, those people probably you don't have access to. Uh, And if you did, they probably wouldn't give you the time of day, so uh, we just have, our expectations of what we want from a friend I think are just too high. We want our friend to be Jesus. We want them to be funny, wise, always available, slow to anger, just perfect. And to be honest, those friends don't exist. Or we play the comparison game, I've seen this one a lot, like, I have these great friends back home, I'm looking for those exact friends in my new city here in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Yep. And to be honest, they're back there. <laughs> <laughs> they're not here. But you know what you know what it is here? New friends mm-hmm. with different strengths, mm-hmm. who will bring out different aspects of you, who will give you a different richness, and help you see the world in a better way. But if you keep thinking about those friends, and you're picky about these friends, you're going to be miserable. And you have no one to say, we're one heart and soul. C.S. Lewis, when he's in his book, The Four Loves, I love this quote on friendship. He says this, last thing on friendship here. He says, in friendship, we think we have chosen our peers. We think we choose our friends. In reality though, a few years difference in the dates of our births, a few more miles between certain houses, the choice of one university instead of another, the accident of a topic being raised or not raised at a first meeting, any of these chances might have kept us from becoming friends. But for a Christian, there are strictly speaking no chances when it comes to friendship. A secret master of ceremonies has been at work, Christ, who said to the disciples, you guys haven't chosen me, but I have chosen you. He can say to every group of Christians, Jesus can, you guys haven't chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. The friendship is not a reward for our discriminating or for our choosing and for our good taste in finding one another out. Our friendships are the instrument by which God reveals to each of us the beauties of others. Friends, Christ, the great master of ceremonies, has gathered His people and said, you are my children. And not only has He made us uh, His um, younger brothers and given us an eternal father, but He said, you guys are brother and sister. I have chosen you for each other. And we are not to come to church and say, I don't like these ones. (laughs) You don't get to say that to your brother and sister. We don't get to get picky with our family. We say, Christ, these are the people you've given me. I'm going to journey with them with you. And trust that you're going to bring out the beauty in me and the beauty in them as we walk together in one heart and soul. In all our flaws and all our strengths, so let's be a people who value friendship, who say to one another, man, I'm with you one heart and soul. Will you text that to someone in our church today? I'm with you one heart and soul. Text that to your stoop group. Let's be a people who are like that, like Jonathan is armor bearer. Okay, last part of the text, verse 11. Jonathan is armor bearer, they go on their mission. Both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, oh look, The little Hebrews are coming out of their holes. How cute. And the Philistines say, come on, Jonathan, armor bearer, you two of you, come on up to our garrison, climb this little cliff, and we'll crush you. Verse 12, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him, and they fell, the Philistines, fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. And at that, verse 14, at that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, they killed about 20 men. And then there was a great panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people, all the Philistines. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. Very great panic here in the Hebrew literally means a God-induced panic. There's terror and confusion all throughout the Philistine garrison, and chaos is abound. And Saul in the pomegranate caves, you know, eating this fruit, chilling with the six hundred dudes, and the guys, you know, in the tombs, in the wells, and hiding, they start to notice. Verse twenty-two. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in battle. So essentially what's happening here is Saul and his 600 men see the chaos and the terror in the Philistine camp and they're like, what's going on? They're retreating. And they're even attacking each other, the Philistines are. Who's missing from our ranks? And uh, they notice Jonathan and his armor bearer are gone. And they notice Jonathan and his armor bearer up there kicking butt on the cliff. And there's this earthquake, and this God-induced panic, and the Philistines are fleeing, and Jonathan's like, "Well, yeah, let's go! We got them! And Saul and his 600 dudes are like, oh my gosh, we're winning! Ah, let's go! Ah. And then, it says, what we see in verse 22, is that all these other Hebrews and Israelites who aren't even in the caves, they're even further hiding, they see the 600 men advancing after Jonathan advanced, they're like, oh, we're winning! Let's go! and they go after him and they're like we won we're peace you can't mess with us Israel forever <laughs> that's so lame that is so lame do you see the picture here Jonathan in his armor bear see the lazy and scared men And they say, do you know who our God is? I'm reading right here that he's the God of all creation, who can count and number the stars, who holds the earth in his hands. He's on our side. I don't care what anyone else is doing. I don't care if they're scared, I have God. Bro, will you come with me? Let's go. And God is working and he's doing mighty things for them. And these other guys, who are probably not looking at this, they're looking at each other, just chilling. They see God moving, and they're like, man, I want to be a part of that. And they climb the mountain, too. And then there's the the third group, who says, man, look at all God's doing with these 600 people. Man, I want to be a part of that. And they advance, and they join, too. Amen. when I think about my life, I really don't want to be in that third group And at worst, I don't want to be in the second group. More than anything with my life, I want to be a Jonathan who says, I don't care what everyone else is doing. My Bible says, go and make disciples. So I'm going to go in advance and make disciples. Hey, will you meet with me? Can we read this Bible together? Can we talk about Jesus together? This this Bible tells me to go evangelize. So, okay, I, I believe in a God who's with me to do the impossible. So I'm going to look people in the eye and actually share the gospel with them. Tell them about the realities of hell and tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. And I don't care if they think it's dumb. I don't care if they won't go with me. I'm going, will you come with me, bro? And even if you don't, I'm okay, but I love a friend. You know, I I see all this systemic racism all around our city and around our nation, and because the gospel compels me, I wanna go when no one else will go. I don't wanna be in that third group who's like, oh, that it's cool, I wanna be a part now. I wanna be part of the front lines. I wanna see places like India and China and Papua New Guinea and all these unreached people groups and say, I'll go. I don't care if anyone else will, I'll bring the gospel there. I want to see the orphan crisis in Baltimore City with over 1,400 kids in foster care and say, I'll adopt one. I'll help fix this problem. They don't have to come with me. But my Bible says true religion is to care for the widows and orphans, so I'm going. And I don't want to be a part of the people who say, oh man, that's so cool. Now, now that God's working, I want to look at him and have faith and say, God, you can do the possible. I believe you will do the impossible. And I yield the results to you. Friends, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to be Jonathans, to advance against the kingdom of darkness, advance against the strongholds of the enemy. Jesus said, the kingdom of God will advance and the gates of hell will not prevail. Do you ever think about that verse? Do you know gates are a defensive mechanism? Which means Christians are supposed to be on offense. Christians are supposed to be advancing, trampling down the strongholds of Satan in our world. We go, trusting him to work. And I think too, in the church, as I look at the American church, I think there's a lot of assumption that the pastors are the Jonathans. All right, pastor, you go take that mountain. We got you, we're praying, I'm tithing. No, no, there's something called the priesthood of the believers, which means, All of us have been made children of God, and all of us have been filled with the Spirit of God, and all of us are called to attack the strongholds of the enemy. Mm -hmm. And let's be honest, I'm one human being. I can only be one mountain at a time. You know what my mountain is? Right now, it's planting this church, gathering of people who go. And my vision for our church, for RCC, is that we would have an army of Jonathans who say, okay, My Bible tells me this is what God values. He's calling me to go, okay, I'm going to take on this problem. I'm going to take on this problem of poverty in Baltimore. I'm going to reach this people group. I'm going to go here. I'm going to care for these widows. And could you imagine with me a church, not of consumers or watchers of the one Jonathan or the two Jonathans, but an army who together are in the city saying, God, we believe you're with us. Go with us and do the impossible through us. And then we look to the person next to us and say, I'm with you, heart and soul. And we say to the other person next to us, I'm with you, heart and soul. Imagine what God can do through a church like that. Imagine what the city would look like with the church. Just a few Jonathans. He defeated a 50,000-person army with two guys. What do you think he can do with an army of believers filled with his spirit, ready to go into the problems of our city? and maybe today you don't feel like a Jonathan you don't feel brave you don't feel like God's using you you're just trying to quit porn you're just trying to heal your marriage you're just trying not to be depressed I can't even think about attacking garrisons of the enemy right now Well, friends, I got good news for you. The gospel takes all people as broken as they are, redeems them, and sends them, including you. And the reason we go to the mountain is because there was one who already went for us. We look to our true and better Jonathan. See, God sent his son to be another Jonathan a thousand years later. And this Jonathan climbed another mountain called Calvary, and he attacked our enemy far fiercer than 50,000 uncircumcised Philistines. He attacked the fiercest enemy we've ever seen, the unbeatable enemy, our sin, and the death that would soon follow. And on that mountain, instead of yielding a sword, Jesus yielded a cross, and he died, taking on the penalty for all of our mistakes and failures and he resurrected in power proving that he had victory over all of the enemies of God and ours. We look to that Jesus, the true and better Jonathan, who says, like I have gone, I want you to go. So God has sent me, so I am sending you. Brothers and sisters, let's look to Jesus and let's be like him. If you are encouraged by today's message be sure to subscribe on apple podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts to find another message or get more information about redemption city church visit us online at rccbaltimore.org thank you for listening to the redemption city church podcast